We exist to have a social impact on the island, but we can't do our work unless we have a strong financial foundation and a consistently strong financial performance year over year. Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm Anuj. And you're listening to the Just Good Business Podcast. It's a show about amplifying the voices of social enterprises, the humans behind them, and the journey they are on. Join us as we learn from Nova Scotia's social enterprises. Hearing what inspired them to take the unusual path for doing social good, creating prosperity beyond profit. Let's explore Nova Scotia's world of social entrepreneurship together. Who knows? You may be closer to running your own social enterprise than you think. New Dawn is a family of social enterprises based in Cape Breton, creating social impact each and every day and a significant employer in the region. In this episode, we'll be learning with you as we chat with Erica Shea. Erica is the CEO and president of New Dawn. She's been involved with New Dawn since moving to Cape Breton 15 years ago. She's a mom. She's a rock star. Let's dive right in. Erica, thank you so much for joining us here today. Can't wait to launch right into it. Could you please tell us a little bit about the New Dawn origin story as you were? What's the Avengers story for New Dawn? Thanks, Matt. I'm uh, ecstatic to be here. Looking forward to the conversation today. The New Dawn origin story. So New Dawn is almost 50 years old. New Dawn was founded in 1976. And there were two simultaneous catalysts that led to the founding of New Dawn Enterprises. So the first was there was a real need for affordable housing, for rental housing of any kind in Cape Breton at the time. And there were no organizations who had the capacity to receive funding and financing from the federal government, from CMHC, and spearhead that housing development. At the very same time, New Dawn's founding is intimately connected to the economic history of the region. So Cape Breton, in terms of its economy historically, characterized by a dependency on coal and then steel. So quite industrial, beginning in the 1970s, the end of coal and steel was in sight. And that led to the federal government through a series of agencies, which have today become a COA, uh, but at the time we had DEVCO and then ECBC, a series of federal agencies showing up in the community with a relatively large and powerful presence and their own ideas about what the future economy of the region was going to look like. And so there are lots of fascinating stories about ideas that failed and flopped and were, if nothing else, entertaining. But there was a growing group of Cape Bretoners who really felt like we needed to build spaces, capacity, and organizations that could amplify the voices of the people living here and allow them to articulate what they wanted their future to look like. They needed to specify 
uh, the kind of economy, the kind of communities that they wanted if we were going to survive and thrive here. And so those two threads came together in 1976 and led to the founding of New Dawn Enterprises. And so really in its early days, uh, the work was around building, acquisition, renovations, construction, very physical development. And that's that certainly stayed with us over the years and is a large part of our identity today. Mm. Tell us about New Dawn now. What is New Dawn today? So today, uh, New Dawn owns and operates 21 incorporated companies. These 21 companies work across eight divisions. So we have healthcare, food and food security, immigration, arts, residential real estate, commercial real estate, community engagement, uh, local investment, and then um, services and residential care for adults with physical and intellectual disabilities. The mandate of New Dawn Enterprises is to help to create a more vibrant, self-reliant and prosperous community. Vibrancy and self-reliance are certainly connected back to that economic history and the presence of the federal government that really eroded self-reliance for a generation plus. Collectively, each of those undertakings was born in response to a particular community need at a particular point in time that neither the private sector nor the public sector was stepping up to meet. And so New Dawn would, you know, step into the provision of home care, step into the provision of meals to seniors, step into, as is the case with our origin story, the construction, ownership, and management of rental and affordable housing. And so a community's needs change substantially over time. And so consequently, our organization has to change. We've got to adapt. And so today, the arts and immigration are wonderful examples of big changes that we've made in the last five years in response to how our community is changing. Mm, I love that so much. How did you get started within the organization? I'm going to assume that you haven't been the only president, CEO, and leader of uh, New Dawn Enterprises for the last 50 plus years. So tell us about yourself, how you got started with the organization. Uh, accurate assumption. I've lived in many places in Canada. I've lived um, out west in Halifax, Ottawa, southern Ontario. And uh, when I was studying uh, in Halifax at St. Mary's University, uh, my roommate and I took a rented a car and took a road trip to Cape Breton. I'd never been here before. But as soon as I crossed the causeway, I knew instantly that I was home. And so I joked at the time and said, I need to find a Cape Bretoner to marry now because I, I have to change the course of my life and, and head for Cape Breton. I did find a Cape Bretoner to marry. He's very lovely. So being from Cape Breton is not his only good quality. Lots of other uh, good qualities. I had studied uh, political science in Halifax and in Ottawa. And we came to Cape Breton uh, on a whim and assumed we'd find our way. So I was volunteering with a local organization to uh, do some research and reporting on food bank usage on the island. And through that wonderful group got connected with New Dawn. I started in 
communications with New Dawn back in 2012 and have had the, you know, remarkable, remarkable privilege to be part of so many new and evolving projects over the last 10 years and to get really well acquainted, to get my hands dirty in all of the different sectors that we work in, the divisions, managers, and aspirations. I love a good origin story. Thanks for that. Appreciate that, Erica. Let's uh, kind of pivot to talk about some numbers. Give us a sense of what kind of revenue are we talking about? What kind of uh, investments uh, were you able to make and how did you generate those investments? Give us some, some sense of the business side. So our annual operating budget runs at about $8 million a year. We employ, uh, in any given year, we'll employ between 100 and 150 staff. The majority of those are our frontline healthcare workers in our home care and residential care companies. We have over our uh, lifespan, we've acquired about $35 million in physical assets. And we, for a period of time, for about 10 years, uh, participated in Nova Scotia's Community Economic Development Investment Fund. And so over that decade, we raised $13 million from uh, local community investors who wanted their uh, investments to go to local companies and organizations. Um, we have been certainly fortunate over the years to be able to set aside some of our earnings each year um, in a portfolio that helps to provide um, development capital in the early days of new projects that we're doing. And when we take on a big undertaking like the Eldewig Arts Center, um, we certainly look to donors, look to the private sector for some capital investment. Um, we're quite comfortable and acquainted with the world of financing, uh, mortgages, all of the mechanisms that are available to us. And now, of course, as a nonprofit enterprise, those paths aren't often as straightforward as they may be uh, for for-profit enterprises. But we find our way. So follow up on that, Erica. How do you uh, balance or combine the social impact and the financial return? Give us a sense of how do you balance between all these moving pieces? We exist to have a social impact on the island, but we can't do our work unless we have a strong financial foundation and a consistently strong financial performance year over year. We're fortunate in that our work spans multiple sectors. And so we're able to project surplus revenues for our home care company while accepting that the work we do in food security is never going to generate a profit, is likely not going to break even, and we do that work because it's important to the community. And so between our work in healthcare, our work in commercial real estate, our investment portfolio, 
We've just branched out recently into the world of immigration consulting to complement the provision of immigration settlement services that we do for free in the community. And so in any given year, we need to end the year in the black and have different pieces on the chessboard that we can move around to make that happen. And of course, each of those sectors, whether it's commercial real estate, home care, residential care, immigration, they're impacted by factors over which we don't have any control. They have their own trends and periods of prosperity and scarcity. And so we are taking all of that into consideration when we're budgeting for an upcoming year and the performance targets that we're setting for each of the companies. So just on that, Erika, uh, how do you measure uh, your success? Do you have metrics where you have both financial and social impact indicators? Give us a sense of that. Again, where we work in different sectors with different populations, we need to have different methods and instruments of measurement to gauge our success and to gauge the degree to which the community is engaging with the services that we are providing. And so in the past 10 years, in addition to stepping into new areas of work, we've also had to step out of other areas of work. And it's as important to know what you're good at and what you want to do as what you're not good at and what is no longer needed. So we have a rigorous internal and external team of financial advisors and accountants who are providing continuous input on trends, opportunities, and weaknesses in each of our companies. And we have a a phenomenal team of senior leaders in the organization who are incredibly attuned to needs in the community and the degree to which we are responding or failing to respond. Our board of directors, as a nonprofit organization, we draw our board of directors from the sectors that we work in, the sectors that we aspire to work in. We really, as an organization, need to have an incredibly diverse board of directors because they are also the litmus test, the feedback loop for whether we are, in fact, being responsive and of service at any point in time. As often we say in the sector, Uh, Social enterprises is a journey, not a destination. We approach our work as if it's an ongoing conversation with the community. And so we need, as an organization, to be incredibly porous so that the conceptual walls, the borders between our organization and the community have to enable information to flow freely in and out. And so when we see our work as being in continuous conversation with the community, it does become really a part of the way we work and it becomes an attribute that we seek out when we're filling positions in the company. And now, you know, feel free, the answer could very much be no here, Erica. Have you ever experienced any business challenges at New Dawn? Yes. 
Yes. <laughs> I think it's important to celebrate some of the failures and learnings that we've had uh, through that. So if you'd be so kind as to shed some light on uh, you know, one of your potential business challenges that you've had and what you've done to uh, overcome it, if you have. So many to choose from, Matt. Where to begin? For us as an organization, maintaining our financial independence is part of what drives us to want to and need to generate our own revenues and not rely on any level of government for operating support. And so every single day, we need to generate revenues to provide largely social services that governments are not funding or not funding well or not funding sufficiently in our community. And so we're just constantly trying to balance how do you do that while you know paying a living wage, uh, while creating a really positive, open, innovative workplace culture. So uh, the, the challenges are infinite, but even the challenges feel like an incredible privilege. Like I love having these challenges. There have been many companies over the years that Nudon has tried and the companies have not succeeded. The companies have failed. So there's two in particular that we love to talk about, we love to laugh about. And so those are, um, we started a salmon sausage factory and we also, a bit before our time started and then closed a cloth diaper delivery service. More recently, we made the decision to close our educational division. So for 20 years, we had uh, operated a private career college because there was a lack of training, um, especially for skilled trades on the island. And so, you know, thinking back here, 30 years, 40 years, what was currently Cape Breton University was much smaller. What is currently the Nova Scotia Community College was much smaller. And so over the years, we've trained continuing care assistants. We've trained disability support workers. We've trained estheticians. The last series of diplomas that we issued were around welding. And this was a company, interestingly, that generated a lot of revenue for New Dawn. Our work in education, continuously providing the larger enterprise with a surplus, but it became increasingly difficult philosophically to be training young people to leave the island and go work in northern Alberta. And so we really wrestled with closing the company, taking the financial hit to be able to better live our values. That's so interesting. What are the steps involved in making that decision? Was it a board decision? Was there a convincing to do? Anytime you want to kind of lean into your values unashamedly in that situation, it's incredibly admirable. And also you want to make sure that it doesn't come back and bite you where it may hurt, right? Yeah. Our board of directors are an incredibly committed and skilled group of volunteers from the community. And their role in the organization is most often to tell us where our ship should be going, to think about where do we need to be in five years, where do we need to be in 10 years, how is the community changing, 
Are we equipped and is there evidence that we are adapting to those changing community needs? Where we have a large number of employees, um, vice president, directors, senior managers, junior managers, and where our staff are so closely, like we're on the front line, we, we are in and with and talking to the community every day. Most often, decisions like that will sort of come from the operations and go to the board of directors. So certainly in the case of the welding college, that was a decision and a conversation that happened over a period of two to three years. We wanted to make sure, in addition, that if we were going to exit, that the transition was smooth for our past graduates and for prospective students, that they knew where they could continue to get that training in the community if New Dawn wasn't going to be providing it. So um, a lot of consideration into the implications for the community. In terms of the financial implications for the organization, that was an instance wherein we had to trust to some extent that as the local economy was changing, and it's really changed in the last six to seven years, we would find a series of smaller opportunities to offset that financial loss. So that financial loss for us was about a quarter of a million dollars a year. Um, and so we were clear that we didn't expect to find an identical replacement for that quarter of a million dollars a year. But if we could make a series of changes in some of our other existing companies and we could find a few new opportunities, collectively, they would be able to offset that annual loss. If I were to ask you, you know, what is your relationship with the state, the different levels of government, especially around grants? and capital investment, and what kind of message you would have for the policymakers of what do we need to do to encourage more, more and more social enterprises in our province? That's not a fair question. You can't ask that. <laughs> <laughs> New Dawn has always had and continues to have a cautious relationship with different levels of government for a number of reasons. One, governments are always changing. Government priorities are always changing. And we don't want to live at the whim of any one government or political party or sort of era of uh, policymaking. Two, in Cape Breton, that relationship between the community and the government at times it has been very harmful. Um, and so that contributes to our desire to really maintain some distance between ourselves and government. One of the challenges for many organizations, nonprofits, social enterprises, organizations that are tied to their community and they want to have a positive impact on their community. I think one of the consistent challenges that they experience is that priorities are set at the provincial or federal government level. So uh, the provincial or federal government will say food security is a priority. It's a small priority. Food security for seniors is especially a priority. And food security for seniors that is resolved through community gardens is the top priority in 2024. 
Well, that's not our experience on the ground. Perhaps what we see in our community is a need among school-aged children for a sustained school lunch program. Governments are making decisions that communities and community organizations should be making. And so I think if I had a piece of advice for policymakers at local, provincial, and federal governments, it would be that communities and community organizations know themselves best. They know the nuances of their assets, their challenges, their opportunities, and your job is to get under them. And getting under them requires that you trust their knowledge, you trust their expertise. There is going to be failures, but there's going to be far more successes. Government should fund and communities should decide. How do you manage to remain relatively independent in this decision-making? What is the level of revenue generated through business activities and how much you may be relying on, on other kinds of monies? So we generate 85% of our own revenue. Wow. So we generate 85% of our $8 million operating budget every year. The 15% that we don't generate through the sale of goods and services is revenues that come in as fee-for-service contracts with the provincial government. And so there's two in particular, the provision of immigration settlement services, which is a provincial priority that we're happy to deliver on behalf of the province in the local community, and the same of uh, residential care for adults with physical and intellectual disabilities. It's a provincial uh, priority and a provincial responsibility, and we are very happy to be the service delivery agent for that. Now, from time to time, we certainly take advantage of capital funding from provincial and federal governments. So the Art Center, for example, we're just embarking on the construction of a 25,000 square foot youth center in the community of Glace Bay. And so in the case of the youth center and in the case of the Art Center, we spent years talking and working with the community to identify gaps and priorities. So back in 2012, uh, we ran community consultations for three years, 2012 to 2015, and artists in the community were telling us again and again and again, there is no affordable studio space for us to hone our craft and make a sustainable living off our art. And so we, once we'd identified that community uh, priority, then went to different levels of government and said, you know, is there an extent to which you would be interested in participating in this? Capital funding doesn't come with the constraints or strings that uh, operating funding can come with. And our ability to maintain our independence and work with government when the opportunities are appropriate for us requires that everything we deliver is just rife with excellence. Our ability to go back when it suits us is a reflection of our reputation over the last 50 years to provide what the community needs. We can't help but uh, you know, draw this contrast between how you see a social problem, be it housing, be it long-term care, be it immigration services, and instead of delivering it through a nonprofit mode, 
you turn this into a business uh, and still create that social impact while generating profits or revenue uh, to sustain its activity. Amazing. What advice would you give or would you have for other social enterprises or enterprises who want to become more and more socially oriented intentionally? It's been really important for us at the outset of any new undertaking to be really clear about whether it is a public good that should be offered for free or at the lowest possible cost indefinitely, or whether it has surplus revenue generating potential, and that is ethically okay. So for example, we serve 20,000 meals a year to seniors in our community who otherwise couldn't afford to procure hot, nutritious meals on a regular basis. So we operate our own commercial kitchen and we have an incredible uh, army of 80 volunteers who deliver meals 365 days a year all across the CBRM. It wouldn't be appropriate for a number of reasons for us to think that we need to get Meals on Wheels to a place where it's generating a profit. That would just represent a prolonged struggle for everybody involved because it, it is not naturally amenable to generating a profit. And so we need to pair it with a company like Home Care, which in some cases is very appropriate as a privately procured good for people who have the means to pay for it. And we can use surplus revenues from that company to offset some of the losses in providing Meals on Wheels. And so I think my advice would be to think about whether the impact you want to have is amenable to being revenue generating or not. I think we have to be nuanced in our thinking about what should be transactional and what should be universally accessible. We are happy in the middle, you know, using one to offset the other. It's a very tight rope to walk. Amazing. So what are your hopes and dreams uh, for New Dawn family? You know, if you were to peek in the future, tell us one or two things that you really aspire to. We really aspire to confirm that a different economic model is possible, that it is possible to have a social mandate and be financially sustainable in the long term. A not-for-profit social enterprise can operate with rigor and competitiveness and cutting-edge innovation while dedicating its entire existence to the betterment of the community. We are most excited about continuing to say you can meet community needs with a rigorous and innovative model wherein government is a partner, but the community is leading. This is such music to the ear. We want to say more power to you. 
As an organization that believes in prosperity beyond profit at Just Good Business, I think that you've been able to really resoundingly prove that point throughout um, and also identify different ways to be able to uh, create social impact um, within your community. Erica, can you tell us uh, if New Dawn has created any changes, policies, any kind of impact measurement associated to focusing on climate change within the Cape Breton region? That is a great question, Matt. It's been interesting to watch the way in which climate change conversations and responsibility conversations around resilience and mitigation have slowly and yet comprehensively infused discussions at the board level and at the senior management level and at the frontline staff level. We didn't say to ourselves six years ago, we need to eliminate or substantially decrease our environmental footprint by 2026. However, that's where we're headed. We had an incredible opportunity five years ago to partner with the Verschuren Center for Sustainability in Energy and the Environment and turn one of our properties, so 80 acres, 30 homes, five community buildings, into the first net zero community in Nova Scotia. So we're just at the tail end of installing a 700 kilowatt solar array, so 1,800 solar panels that will generate all of the energy that this community consumes. That led us to committing to net zero builds for all of our new construction. And so we've stepped in slowly and it's been the most incredible education because I think at the outset, it felt daunting in that we had no in-house expertise. You know, when you're standing outside looking in, it seems like the technologies are complicated and they change all the time. And so, you know, when do you make your move? But taking one step in has been so encouraging and had a ripple effect across the rest of the organization. So now, while we've committed to having all of our new construction projects be net zero, and we've amassed the confidence to do that, we've now gone back and said, Okay, step two is to look at all of our existing buildings and do the retrofits to get them to net zero. We find ourselves, it's like we woke up one day and we are in it and it's it's riveting and it's actually so much easier than we ever expected it would be to make this transition. Huge amount of of, uh, of applause as Anoush is, is, is providing you here for having that impact and also... Um, for being able to inspire those around us. It's something that we're trying to do with this podcast to be able to showcase these inspiring stories of organizations that are putting prosperity beyond profit, as you've so eloquently described New Dawn doing today. So I guess in closing, I would give you an opportunity to say, is there anything that you're looking to sell, to build, to, you know, final words, you know, uh, books that you've read, any kind of advice that you would give um, in closing? You get the final minute to close us out here, Erica, uh, because I feel like we can all learn from you. I think the best book I've read in the last uh, five years, and I say that with two small children and three cats and a yard full of chickens. So not a lot of time for reading. I read a phenomenal book called uh, Leadership and the Art of Growing Up, uh, which was written by a gentleman called uh, Jerry Colonna. Uh, And so he has long been a coach for executive leaders in the U.S. And he comes to that work from a, you know, 
deeply Buddhist tradition. And I think a lot of the observations and advice he gives are are so relevant to the moment in time in which we find ourselves and the need for us all to manage our own egos and remember that we're all in this together. We're all one. Change is needed in corporate culture. And, and he provides some great insights into the ways in which it can change. I think in terms of a final word, I will say that for me and for so many of the deeply committed and brilliant people who make up Nudon Enterprises, it really doesn't get better than this to be challenged every day to be the very, very best in your industry and know that all of your efforts go towards making your community a better place. I graduated university and had no idea what I was going to do with the rest of my life. And of all the things I dreamt about, I never dreamt about anything this good. So thank you. Uh, this has been so lovely. And I can't wait to listen to the entire series. Thank you, Erica. Um, it, uh, you know, it's inspiring. It is uh, thought-provoking. It is challenging. Um, as, a, as somebody who has been uh, engaged in this field of of social enterprises for the last 35 years. Um, you know, it, it, you always learn more. And, and this last 30 minutes have been just wonderful. Um, kudos to you and your, and, you know, lovely, uh, magnificent, impressive team. Um, thank you to the listeners. Please follow us on social media, uh, Just Good Business. And Erica, I think we need to really ask this question on, on how do we create more new dawns and raise our aspirations and the bar uh, in each of the communities. And as you said, Nova Scotia is the place we believe. Thank you so much. To learn more about New Dawn, check out newdawn.ca. In the final segment, Erica mentioned a book that is near and dear to my heart. Its full title is Reboot, Leadership and the Art of Growing Up by Jerry Colonna. Special shout out to team and culture builder extraordinaire Katie Brinston from New Brunswick for putting this book on my radar. In the book, Jerry says, the way to guide is to ask, not tell. And we look forward to being your guides as we continue exploring the world of social enterprises in Nova Scotia. If you liked what you heard today, subscribe and tune in for more. I'm Matt. And I'm Anuj. And this has been the Just Good Business Podcast.